Good day. I am really excited today. Today I begin preaching through the book of Acts. I hope you are excited too. I could barely sleep last night. I was so, uh, so excited and, and can't, couldn't wait. I'm serious. Um, the book of Acts is the sequel to the gospel of Luke. And I love sequels as long as they're good. I'm sure you can think of some, you know, really rotten sequels. But Acts does not disappoint. Acts comes through, and there are cliffhangers even. And you know, cliffhangers are awesome. Um, I remember the uh, Who Shot JR in, uh, anticipation. Now you know how old I am. Way older than you. Anyway, seriously, uh, the book of Acts, it's, it's fraught with who shot JR type anticipation. Uh, what's going to happen next? Uh, you're on the edge of your seat. You come to the book of Acts, and it's, wow, this is an amazing story. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You got the gospel story, and human nature is such that we're wired to say what's next, what comes next. Acts tells us what comes next. You've got the the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus in the Gospels. And the book of Acts takes up where the Gospels leave off. It continues the story, the story of God at work in the lives of His chosen witnesses for His sovereign purposes continues on. I'm not the biggest fan of of using the term Acts 29, but I know what it means that Acts 28, you get to that, and then the, the, the living history of the church of Jesus Christ continues on. It continues on until Christ comes again. The book of Acts is the first Christian history that was written down, and it's the only thing of its type in the New Testament. Acts tells us what happens next after the Gospels and before the Epistles. There's nothing in the New Testament that's like the book of Acts. And I'm excited because the book of Acts describes, it describes what God did through His Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses. And, And you know how often you come to the Word of God and you say, wow, I need to do this and this and this. But Acts is like, just, just listen, just hear what God did. And sure, there'll be plenty of things where you're like, wow, I want to I I follow Jesus more closely, like, like Peter and Stephen and Philip and Paul and others. And wow, I want to I know the word like they did, where they were just preaching the gospel everywhere they went. But, but, but Acts is really about what happened next. What did God do? Acts records the progress of, of the gospel as Jesus' disciples took it from Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the, the, the rest of the known world at that time. You could see a graphic, and, and there's a graphic on Vimeo that you could see the, the spread of the gospel. And it, it starts in Jerusalem and just goes outward, and it is breathtaking how, how amazing it is to see the spread of the gospel through the whole entire world. One thing you need to know about Acts is that it is the transitional history of the New Testament. It is the book that gives the transitional history describing the birth of the church at Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection. 
and major transitional events during the first 30 years of the church. It runs basically from A.D. 30 to A.D. 60, a 30-year swath of time. And it's a very unique book. Acts is a very unique book. It is part of the Bible. So it is inspired, it is infallible, it is inerrant. And it has a message to teach us. It has a message to, to direct us. And it is a narrative that will also teach us doctrine as well as practice. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, that is inspired of God, and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Acts is a narrative that is profitable, as is all of Scripture, for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training, that we would be equipped, that believers would be equipped for every good work that God intends for His people. The story continues. That's the name of this sermon. The story continues of Jesus using his spirit-empowered witnesses for his sovereign purposes. And you will hear that more than once today. That Jesus is using his spirit-empowered witnesses for his sovereign purposes. So please open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 1. And I will ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 of Acts chapter 1. Are you excited? I can't wait. This is the third time I get to preach this today, and I cannot wait. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. (laughs) Amen, Mark. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. This is God's word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days And speaking about the kingdom of God. And Lord God, thank you for this day. It's the day you you have made. Lord, we want to rejoice and be glad in it. We want to rejoice in your word. That you have given us your word. That we are poor, needy beggars that that need the, the wealth, the gold of your word. Lord God, we... We don't want to presume to think that we know all about this book of Acts. Lord, we want to come as as learners. We want to come as humble, saved servants. And even those who among us that are not believers, I pray, Lord, that you would would draw them to yourself by your grace and mercy as they hear the gospel. They would respond in faith. Lord God, I pray that you would have your way with us. Lord, as we go through this book, and even as we look at just three verses today and some, and some major themes, I pray, Lord, that you would renew our minds. Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts, in our households, and in the household of God. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
So today's sermon is really an overview, introductory sermon, the 20,000 foot view. And we're going to look at the background of the book of Acts and who wrote it, where did it come from, why was it written, and then what are some common themes that are running throughout the whole book. What does the book of Acts show us and tell us about God's Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses that are being used for His sovereign purposes? What does the book of Acts tell us about this continuing story that God is orchestrating? So we're going to start off with an introduction, a background of the book of Acts. Acts, by the way, and I'll keep saying this, Acts is short for the Acts of the Apostles. You'll look in your Bible and probably above chapter 1, verse 1, there's a title, The Acts of the Apostles. You might say, well, where did that come from? Well, that came from the church at least since the middle of the 2nd century A.D., somewhere around 150 to 180. And it's, it's a title that was given to describe God's work through His chosen instruments. Acts is the second volume of a history that was known at its inception as a history of Christian origins. It was composed by a first century Christian and it was dedicated to a man named Theophilus, which means friend of God. The book of Acts could appropriately be called the Acts of Jesus Christ. It could also be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Or you could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the Church of Jesus Christ through God's people. John Stott suggested this title, The Continuing Words and Deeds of Jesus by His Spirit through His Apostles. I'll give you my personal favorite. I think I made it up. I may have read it somewhere, but I think I made it up, and it's long Here's how it goes. The acts of Jesus through his spirit-empowered witnesses serving his sovereign purposes. Yes, you will hear that many times. The acts of Jesus through his spirit-empowered witnesses serving his sovereign purposes. Let's ask the question, what? What's the nature of the book of Acts? And right away you'll notice in verse 1 that Acts name checks a first book. It refers to a first book. Verse 1 says, in the first book, O Theophilus. And the question is, which book? And the answer is the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. The first book was Luke's Gospel, and it dealt with everything up to the ascension of Christ. And now he is referring to how he is writing a second book, the book of Acts, which takes us from the ascension. So there's an overlap, the ascension into the growth of the early church, roughly a 30-year span of time. But Luke and Acts is really a two-part history of Jesus' ministry and the early development of his church. In fact, when it was first written, it would have been together and, and one of the reasons why it was separated is because when the church put together the canon of Scripture, they put the four Gospels together. Makes a lot of sense. 
But the placement of the book of Acts is very crucial. It continues the story that the gospel started. So you have the four gospels, and then you have the book of Acts, and then the rest of the New Testament. In fact, at one point in, 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 in church history, it was the, the gospels and the apostle. And they were looking at the, the, the epistles there, letters to church. But you've got to have the book of Acts there because that's the glue between the two between the Gospels and the Epistles. You may ask the question, why aren't Luke and Acts just one book then? I think that's a good question. Now, you probably know this, but ancient books were written on papyrus scrolls. Now, I've got a Bible with me today, and it's a fine calfskin leather cover with beautiful bible paper on the inside i've got an ipad up here which is awesome i can scroll up and down the page but back then papyrus papyrus and maybe they had the you know papyrus 5.0 and to download that you kind of have to really unroll it it's it's kind of a um papyrus i remember the, the church i grew up in didn't really preach the gospel but they taught me how to make a papyrus sheet of paper um, everybody needs to know how to do that, right? You know, making some papyrus and you kind of put it all together and do some things and there's some paper. But the deal is that that's what they used. Papyrus scrolls primarily were what they wrote ancient books on. You go, well, how come you couldn't just get one big long scroll and put Luke and Acts together? Well, first of all, Luke was really wordy. He wrote a lot of words. In fact, Matthew's 28 chapters, Luke is 24, and Luke is longer than Matthew. And Luke and Acts comprise 25% of the New Testament. So you say, oh, I can't read the New Testament all the way through. It's just so long. Well, you read Luke and Acts, you got 25% done. Keep going. But those scrolls in the ancient days the, of the uh, papyrus scrolls, they came in a specific size range, and the longest was about 35 feet long. And so the size limitation of a papyrus scroll actually helped determine the size of some of the books of the Bible. Matthew, Luke, John, Romans, and Acts are all about that size. And again, Luke and Acts, why would they not be together? Because they wouldn't fit in one scroll. This was a double scroller. Okay? You need two scrolls for, for what Luke wrote. This, this history of the church, the, the gospel, and, and the acts, it wouldn't fit on one scroll. In fact, the word translated book in verse 1 is notable. 1-1, one, one, logos, that's the word, logos. And it literally means a treaty, a writing. And it was a customary way to, to speak of a part of a book, a, a portion of a book that was too big to fit on one scroll. So Acts is, a, is the history book, a part two of, of Luke. And boy, could Luke write lots of details. So Luke and Acts, one narrative, two scrolls. Now, a fun fact about Luke and Acts, the fact that they make up over 25% of the New Testament. And, and by the way, tonight, we're going to read God's word. Paul said to Timothy, pay attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. We're doing the exhorting and the teaching this morning. We're going to do the public reading of Scripture tonight, and we're going to read through every chapter of the book of Acts in its entirety. 28 chapters. 
men and women and boys and girls reading chapters in the Bible. Well, that's very similar to the custom that would have been in Rome in that day for a group of people to get together and listen to a new writing, either read out loud by the author or someone who brought the letter, brought the writing. I said to our our staff and some of my friends this week, I said, you know, I feel woefully inadequate to start preaching the book of Acts this Sunday for a lot of different reasons. And I think if we ever come up here to preach and not feel woefully inadequate, we should sit down. We need to come humbly and say, you know what, I don't know everything there is to know about this, and I'm trusting God to do the work. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read it, I'm going to explain it and, and apply it and, and trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. Now, my best preparation, though, for preaching through Acts has been prayerfully going through and listening to the 24 chapters of Luke and the 28 chapters of Acts. That was the bulk of my day yesterday. Got through all those chapters. 25% of the New Testament. And I'm telling you, hearing the word of God changes your heart. The word of God is, is strong. The word of God is powerful. And, and letting the word sink deep into your soul, your faith is strengthened. My faith was strengthened by, by listening to the word. I like using the wording, the story continues. This is the title for this sermon, but I like using that wording because it describes the book of Acts in a way that allows us to frame this, this treatment of the book in its proper setting. It's a continuation of God's whole story from the Old Testament to Jesus and beyond. It's a continuation. And, and so the story continues, explains really the, the position of Acts as a transitional period between the Old Testament and the New Covenant and, and, the, and the bridge between the apostles, the gospels, and, and the epistles. Acts is really the linkage between the gospels and the epistles and it's very important narrative history now because it's important narrative history there's something we need to keep in mind and it's where a lot of people go wrong in their treatment of the book of acts it's this acts is more descriptive than prescriptive more this is what happened than this is what you should do the book of Acts contains doctrine, it contains imperatives, yes, but mostly it is narrative history and describing what happened. And you need to understand the, the transitional nature of, of the book in, in scope of God's whole story of redeeming fallen man, that, that golden thread that runs all the way from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. So the story continues, uh, really can become a, uh, an umbrella perspective throughout the book. Because I'm going to present the book of Acts in its historical context that describes what happened. A narrative running some 30 years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. It's, it's what happened immediately after those things. It even has the overlap with the ascension. It traces what God did through his people, with his, through his 
Holy Spirit in, empowered witnesses for his purposes. So remember this, and, and all the way through, remember this. It is primarily descriptive, not prescriptive, where you try to copy everything the early church did. You say, well, can we do anything they did? Of course, there will be many things we do. But you don't want to get prescriptive and say, now, every church needs to start with 120 people and in one week grow to 3,000. Yeah, every church in America would, would close if that was the, the prescriptive norm. Acts is about what God did through the first Christians, not about what every Christian needs to do. Let me explain it and illustrate it this way. You take the, the death of Christ and the burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ. Those are all things that happened one time. Those are one-off events. They only happen once. Christ died for sins once for all. Now, there are events in the book of Acts that only happen once, never to be repeated again. You go to the epistles to find out the rule of life for the church today. Now, the book of Acts is going to give us some general principles on a lot of things, such as discipleship and evangelism, because those are tasks that are very uh, existent for the church today. They are still the task for the church but you don't need to think that you need to go and copy everything the apostles did in their foundational ministry. Those foundations are already built. Ephesians 2 tells us we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. We are members of the household of God, and, and, which is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus being the cornerstone. The foundation is set, and the book of Acts explains that foundation. Here's what God did, but it doesn't prescribe everything we're supposed to do. The epistles are very clear about instructions for how the church is to operate. So there's going to be plenty of theology in the book of Acts. There'll be, pre there'll be some prescription in the book of Acts, but as a whole, it is a historical book that we need not take every aspect of it as prescriptive. So Luke wrote the book of Acts, and in verse 1, you, you hear him say, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Less is known about Luke than any other New Testament writer. He was a Gentile, probably the brother of Titus, Paul speaks of him as the beloved physician, so he was a, a doctor, and he was probably a wealthy man. He was able to travel as a companion to Paul on his missionary journeys, and he was a historian par excellence. He gives very precise details and an extraordinary depth in, in the recounting of the story. He includes cultural details that are very accurate and pinpoint accuracy on geographical details. Described by one writer as, again, the man who wrote the most beautiful book in the world, Luke and Acts, that one work in two volumes. You want to remember, too, that Acts is not an eyewitness account primarily, but one written by a very careful historian who was also an eyewitness and a participant of some of the things later in the book of Acts. So Luke wrote by combining written sources with some of his own eyewitness accounts 
And here's a fun fact about Acts that you should keep in mind. Watch for we. Watch for we. When you see Luke writing and he's speaking and he's recounting and then you, you see the word we, then he's writing not just as the church historian but as a first-person traveling companion of Paul. You'll see it first in Acts chapter 16. It'll come up again in Acts chapter 20 and then in 27 and 28. And you say, well, how could, how could Luke have such specific information about the shipwreck? Because he was in the boat. Because he was there. And now we, we should also talk about why. When we come to the Word of God, we need to ask why? What's the purpose that it was written? Why did Luke write the book of Acts? First of all, you can't consider the purpose of the book of Acts apart from the purpose of the gospel of Luke. These, these two parts together are one integrated whole with a coherent purpose running throughout. The, the main idea of Luke is the same main idea for the, the book of Acts. So you don't have to wonder, you don't have to guess, why was Luke writing this account? You just go to Luke chapter 1. You just go to Luke chapter 1, the first four verses, and you see that there is a really close tie-in to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And you see very clearly stated at the beginning of the gospel of Luke, in the words of Luke himself, why he wrote you begin at verse 1, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. He's part of the church. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, Luke isn't of this gospel. He, he's not an eyewitness. And, and those who were ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So the truth has been passed down. So then Luke says, it seemed good to me. So we've got an idea. He said, having followed all things closely for some time past. He's a careful historian. I bet you Luke's friends are like, Luke, you, you're, you're smart. You've got a grasp that we don't have. You should write these things down. Because he says, I, want, I wanted to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So he wrote it down in consecutive order, and you've got the Gospel of Luke in in, in amazing detail and now you've got the book of Acts in amazing detail and the reason why he wrote look at the next verse that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught Luke was a pastor his heart was a pastor's heart he wrote for the purpose of building up the church that they would be knowing the exact truth and he's not just reassuring uh, Theophilus. He's, he's saying to believers in all times, the record is true. The historical accuracy is pinpoint. Your faith in Christ is built upon truth. Everybody wonders at times. Everybody wonders at times. You, you can read all through the Gospel of Luke and all through the book of Acts and still have doubts. Still wonder, is it true? 
you, you see what's going on in your life and you see what the Bible teaches and you, you're seeing disconnects in, in your heart and in your experience and you're like, is it really true? And Luke is writing so that believers would have the truth firmly fixed in their hearts that they would be confident, assured, settled, convinced of the truthfulness of the gospel record of what God has done and what he has promised to do. If you've been around Grace Church for any length of time, you know I'm committed to preach through whole books of the Bible. Over the past nine years of pastoring Grace, I have preached through Hebrews, Matthew, Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John. We picked off a few small ones there, 2nd and 3rd John, Malachi, and most recently, 1st Peter. I just heard from a, a buddy of mine, um, in South Africa, Josh Mack, and he said, I'm so excited that you are preaching through the book of Acts because now, after I get done with Luke and I go into Acts, I can see where you went because he goes, you know, I, I, I really need to um, understand Luke before I preach Acts. And I'm thinking, you're so, sm- so much more smarter than me. I preach through Matthew. <laughs> and now I'm coming to Acts going, I gotta go fi- find out what Luke has to say. But it's, all, it's about expositional preaching, when I went to seminary, I was a three-year-old baby Christian, 1985, and I got to seminary, and, and I said, I want to, to um, have as my major Bible exposition, going through the Word, read it, explain it, apply it, sit down, let the Holy Spirit do the work, that the main point of the passage is the main point of the sermon, and, and, and the reason why I'm so committed to that is because I was taught that a group of people will be pointed again and again and again to what the word actually says. Not me up here picking and choosing what I think I want to tie together and come up with points that you might be scratching your head going, where did that come from? But no, this is from straight out of the word of God. And the reason why I preach expositionally is so that you would know with certainty the things you've been taught. See, expositional preaching drives you to the Word of God like Bereans and says, is this, are these things so? I don't want you to view the Bible as a self-help book that's a collection of mostly helpful odds and ends. I want you to see the Bible as for what it really is. God's revelation of Himself that he is unfolding his sovereign plans throughout the unified whole of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation I want you to see that the whole Bible is about the the glories of God in Christ in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. That's how we should approach the Word of God and we should approach the book of Acts in the same way. You know, we should be like Luke. He wanted to, he wanted to investigate everything thoroughly. We should come as very careful investigators. You might even be curious in your investigation, but it should lead you to be a committed witness for Christ, that you would believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. Because if, it does, if, your, if your investigation doesn't lead you to a deep faith in Christ, then you will be an instigator of opposition against the word of God. And you're gonna see this throughout the whole book of Acts. People wildly and madly in love with Jesus and and the gospel 
doing anything and everything they can at the risk of their own lives for the truth. And you will see over and over again people that are contemptuous and instigating evil against God and the gospel. The purpose of the book of Acts is so simple. It is that believers in every age would be confident about the truth of God's working in and through his chosen people for his sovereign purposes. If you're doubting today and you're saying, I, I just don't know if I can grasp the message of the Bible and of the gospel, I would say, listen to it and read it as much as you can. Let it wash over your soul because there is something very cleansing and very renewing about the word of God it renews your mind you will find yourself thinking differently as you expose yourself even more fully to the word of God and I know how I know how it goes you start to doubt and so you walk away from the word of God rather than coming back into it even more fully I want to give you a basic outline of the book of Acts very, very simple. I love simple things, and this is very simple. The main verse in the whole book is chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, my martyrs. And it will be in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So that's how the book is arranged. Chapters 1 through 8 is basically the gospel from Jerusalem, getting preached first in Jerusalem right away, and then going out to Judea and Samaria, uh, chapter 8 through 12, and then chapters 13 through 28, the rest of the book, the ends of the earth. It's kind of funny, really, if you think about it. Where did it start off? Where, where's the book of Acts start off? Jerusalem. You know, just a podunk town out in the middle of nowhere. Where did the book of Acts conclude? Rome, the center of the known world at that time. And God is basically inverting that and saying, you're going to go from Jerusalem, and it's going to ripple effect out, it's going to reverberate out, and it's going to get all the way to Rome, the uttermost parts of the earth. Again, the spread of the gospel is only something that God could bring about. Now what I want to do for the rest of our time is focus on several, five specifically, key themes in the book of Acts that run all the way through this book. And you, you see them in the first three verses, but they're all the way through the book. And the first one, if we don't have this as our first one, we should just go home right now. The first one is so basic, so foundational, there's no way this couldn't be number one. Number one, the, the, the biggest theme in the book of Acts, the risen and returning Lord Jesus Christ. The risen and returning Lord Jesus Christ. The first two chapters, every verse is either about Jesus or quoting Jesus. Verse one begins, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse 2, until the day that he, Jesus, was taken up. After he, Jesus, had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he, Jesus, had chosen. Verse 3, to them he, Jesus, presented himself alive. After his suffering, 
by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days up to the ascension and speaking about the kingdom of God. He did it by many convincing proofs. 1 Corinthians 15 lays it out very clearly that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to all sorts of people, hundreds and hundreds of people, eyewitnesses. John 20, he enters a locked room to see his disciples. He shows them his wounds in Luke 24 and ate with them. It's very, very clear in the book of Acts that Jesus is risen, that he is resurrected. And it's also very clear that he is returning. Chapter 1, verse 11 He's, he's going up into heaven and everybody's kind of craning their necks up watching him and there's two guys in white. I'm guessing they're angels. And they're like, why do you keep on staring up into the sky? This Jesus will come back in the same way that you saw him go. You're gonna, you know, mess up your neck. Look horizontal right now. Get to the task. It wasn't like Jesus said, you know, I died and rose again and now I'm going up to the Father and I'll see you in heaven. The Holy Spirit's going to take it from here. No, Jesus is present and active all the way through the book of Acts. He's talking to people and knocking them off of horses. Acts chapter 9, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, who are you? I am Jesus. Jesus is alive and he's present and he's coming back. The apostolic preaching is awesome in the book of Acts. I love it. And they, they preach the word in so many different ways. In Acts 17, 31, Paul says, There will come a day when God will judge the world through a man he's appointed. That's Jesus. He's coming back. And I'll ask you today, if that's the main theme in the book of Acts, the risen and returning Lord Jesus Christ, do you know the risen and returning Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him? Do you love him? Acts makes it very clear. that The gospel is very clear in Acts. There's a holy God. And, and there's sinful man who's wreaked havoc over everything that God says is good. And sinful man has, has pushed himself up and tried to, to be God of his own life. But Jesus was sent, the perfect Savior, God the Son, and he died on the cross, spilling his blood, so that sinful man might be brought into a right relationship with God. There's a perfect Savior, and just like Acts 16.31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. You go, well, but what am I supposed to believe? Well, everything we've been talking about, about Jesus dying for sin on the cross and being buried and risen from the dead. You know, every sin you commit is a turning away from God. Every confession of sin is a turning back to God. It could be today that you have been running from God and you didn't even know it. And maybe you're even professing faith in Christ and you realize my life is not going Jesus' word. It's going away from God. The trajectory of my life is not going in the way that pleases God. Well, you need to do what the book of Acts says again and again and again. Repent. Turn from your sins. 
Believe the truth. Align yourself with the truth. That's what the gospel of, of Luke started with, that here's what Jesus began to do and teach. And now Acts is telling us what Jesus continues to do and teach. A risen and returning Lord Jesus Christ. Very present in the book of Acts as this story continues of, of Jesus using his Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses to serve his purposes. There's another prominent theme that I want to point out that, again, if this one isn't here, we've got to go home. Number two, the word of God and the gospel. The word of God and the gospel is so prominent in the book of Acts. Verse one, it says, all that Jesus began to do and teach. The, the work of redemption was done at the cross, but here he has only begun to proclaim the glories of the gospel. Verse 2, he's, he's given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles who he chose. And verse 3, he's speaking about the kingdom of God, the, the reign of God, the rule of God in the hearts of those he's chosen. These commandments, the authoritative New Testament truths revealed to the apostles by which they were to live. You look at Acts 4.31, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They weren't timid about it. This unstoppable progress of the gospels being traced in the book of Acts and, and the growth of the church. And, and true church growth is always connected to one thing and one thing only. The faithful preaching of the word of God. All across America right now, there are churches that are Small and large, and some are faithfully preaching the Word of God. Many are faithfully preaching the Word of God. In Houston today, there's, what, 20,000 people probably gathered, that, and, and the biggest church in America not faithfully preaching the Word of God, which means that's not of God. Now, what's of God is true church growth being connected to the faithful preaching of the Word of God. Acts 28, 28 says that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. They will listen. And you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 15. There are 120 people. You look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000. You look at 441, 5,000. You look at chapter 5, verse 14, multitudes constantly added. You look at chapter 6, verse 1. The disciples kept increasing in number. But they grew not only in numbers, but in depth. In depth. Chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God kept spreading. Many believed. And chapter 9, verse 31. The church grew in the fear of God and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You see in Acts 12, 24 that the word increased. Oxano, literally, grew and multiplied, plethuno, oxano and plethuno. It increased, it grew, and it multiplied, and it prevailed amongst Jews and Gentiles. If you're a believer today, how do you think you got here? Well, I know you drove in your car, you rode your bike, you walked. I, I, I mean, how do you think you got to the place where you say, because you're a believer, I love Jesus, he saved me from my sins, I'm going to heaven, and I want to grow and serve him all my life. How do you think he got there? 
The book of Acts tells how that started and how it's continuing on. The faithful proclamation of the word of God. Someone preached the gospel to you. Christ's church grew through the preaching of the word, the proclaiming of the gospel. That's how true church growth happens. And then you notice every time there is the faithful preaching of the word of God, there is opposition. Acts records the supernatural spread of the gospel and the amazing growth of the church and growing opposition to the word of God and the gospel. But we know the word of God is powerful and it is effective. God says in Isaiah 55, just like rain and snow come down from heaven and water the earth and make it make the seeds bear and sprout, so will my word go which comes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces as far as a division of joints and marrow, soul and spirit, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It goes on to say that everything is open and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So, do you love the word of God? Do you love the word of God? Do you say, my life is wrapped up in it? That this book, this book whether it's printed or electronic, that, that you say this word is different than any other word and it's strong and it's powerful and it's inerrant and it's infallible. And do you, do, you, do you hold it in highest regard? Or is it just one thing among many in your little smorgasbord of, of Christianity? Is it essential in your life? Do you love it? Are you serious about it? so serious about it that you're willing to alter your life because of what it says. There is something very cleansing about taking in the word of God. It renews our minds. It wakes us up to our responsibility. It tells us this is the way things are. So we've got Jesus, the risen and returning Lord Jesus Christ, and the word of God and the gospel. Uh, two very hugely prominent themes in the book of Acts. There are three more I'm going to briefly share with you. And th again, they're going to run through the whole book. You're going to hear a lot about this. But the third one is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Verse 2 says, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit. You see the Holy Spirit talking to the church in the book of Acts. Chapter 13, verse 2. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work. You see the Holy Spirit in, in chapter 16, verse 6, saying, don't go where you think you're going to go. The Holy Spirit prevents them from going where they're not supposed to go. Then you get to 19, chapter 19, verse 2, and you see some believers who say, we don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. I think some believers today would say that. If there's a Holy Spirit? Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper. He didn't mean another of a different kind. He meant another of the same kind. I'm going to send you another helper of the same kind 
Is the Holy Spirit indwelling and empowering you today? Are you walking by the Spirit? Is there fruit? Is there proof of God at work in your life? The Holy Spirit. A very prominent theme all the way through the book of Acts. The fourth thing I'll mention is where we come in. Christ's chosen witnesses. That is, is a, a thread that goes all the way through the book. Verse 2 says that he gave commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. There's a calling to be witnesses. There's a singleness of purpose that reflects a call and, and it's reflected in, in the stories and the statements of what's going on and it's reflected in action. Action on the part of his chosen ones. Next week we'll look more at this in, when we look at verse 8, but many, many times in the book of Acts we talk, it, it's referring to God's witnesses of the truth and of the gospel. But you've got Peter in Acts chapter 2 standing up boldly and authoritatively and preaching the gospel, he who had been cowardly. You've got Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. You've got Philip in Acts chapter 8. You've got Paul from chapter 9 all the way to the end of the book. You know, when Paul got saved, people didn't believe he was a believer. And Ananias, God's saying to Ananias, you need to go help Paul. And he says, no, I don't believe that he's a believer. And, and God says to him, you go, because he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So the, the rest of the book, Acts 13 to 28, Chronicles God's work through Paul and all his missionary journeys. So are you one of his witnesses, one of his active witnesses? You say, oh yeah, I'm a witness for Christ. Are you an active one? Well, we see active witnesses in the book of Acts. Friends of God reaching friends for God. Now, there's going to be some things you hear over and over again from me that I will exhort you on and exhort myself on and ask you to exhort me on. Number one, trust Jesus with everything in your life. And number two, practice deep fellowship I think sometimes we have this sliver of what we think fellowship is deep fellowship is where you share of yourself and your life and your your hopes and your dreams and your failures and your victories and you you disclose and and you you honestly do life with people a man came to my office just this week and in his pocket he had a piece of paper with some names written on it and he said um I want to tell you about some people in this church. And he had eight names, eight or nine names written on that piece of paper. And he read them to me one after another. People that I know. Some people in this room. And he says, these are the people who are bearing my burden. They are holding me up. They're keeping me going. They're calling and praying. They're sharing their life with me. They're letting me know that they care about what's going on in my life. I got a dream for the Grace Church of Orange. I love this church. My dream would be that we would be who God calls us to be. Together. And also to our neighbors. Because that's something else you're going to hear from me again and again and again. Get to know your neighbors. Well, get to know your own family, okay? Get to know your own household. Get to know the people you live with and get to know the people you live around. How many people don't know or don't like people who live near them? 
or with them. I'm serious about it. Outreach starts in, at home base on your block because God sovereignly put you where you live geographically. It's time-bound and geographical, and, and you're dealing with an eternal gospel. But you're time-bound, and it's geographical. You are where you are because God put you there for a purpose. You're the missionary to your block. You've got to grasp that. I'm going to say it over and over and over again because the fifth thing is it's the sovereign purposes of God that are foremost in our minds here. In the book of Acts, that is what runs through so loud and clear. It's about God's plans. It's about the kingdom plans of God. It's about his purposes. It's about his agenda, not mine, not yours, not ours. God doesn't exist to serve our purposes we exist to serve his in acts chapter 13 verse 36 it says david after he had served the purpose of god in his generation died that's your job that's your calling you serve god's purpose in your generation and get out of get out of town when jesus takes you you go to be with jesus you're done You say, well, can I write something where people read it after I die? Sure, and they'll say, a dead person wrote this. But they wrote it about a live person, Jesus, the risen and returning Jesus. It's all about Jesus and serving his purposes. All the way through the book of Acts, it's not this self-focused life. That's why I'm so excited about the book of Acts because God's gonna continually point us away from ourselves and and to, to... serve his purposes in our generation and just like paul who said i didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of god the whole counsel of god paul was recounting his salvation story in acts chapter 26 verse 26 he told it a few times in the book and here's what jesus said to him he said for this purpose i appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things you have seen but to the things in which I will appear to you Jesus is alive and well his word we have it the Holy Spirit indwelling believers we are his witnesses for his sovereign purposes I can't wait to see what's next and Lord God thank you that you use people like Peter and Stephen and Philip and Paul and and us for your purposes. Lord, I pray that we would be living for your purposes, for your will and fame and not ours. Lord God, I I, I thank you that, that your story continues of Jesus using his spirit empowered witnesses for his sovereign purposes. In Christ's name, amen.